I was just completely cut off, so it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> You're a Calvinist, so that's God's will, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Sorry, God predestined you for this. I can't get Have you guys seen the show This Is Us? I haven't, but no. I just... Have I've, you heard of it? No. That's just, why I love you, Scott. Have you heard of it, Jeff? I've heard of it. This just popped up on my calendar. I guess I have a, a BBB pod with Jason Stellman of Drunk Ex-Pastor. Is that when, on Wednesday? At Wednesday. On Wednesday. At, at, at Wednesday. Wednesday, February 15th. Yes. Yeah. At 7.30 to 8.30. I'll, I better make sure that I get that. You're revealing show. how the sausage is packed... Where the fudge is made. Uh, this I'm glad will be you out got that till, right. I think this is coming out. If you're listening to this, it's probably March 7th or later through the glory of time travel. I love how you have your wife on the. Yeah. <laughs> I send out empty. <laughs> who? Yeah. You guys know. It's just so she knows. Zach's got Jeff and there's a woman's name on here. You might as well put my wife on there as well. I Would can you do that from well, now on. Yeah, if she know, then she knows you're podcasting. You don't Absolutely. have to tell her. Okay. That'd be so much better. It's yeah. way better if I, you tell her. You don't even have to talk to her. <laughs> on, I'll invite her, and for a split second, she'll think, "Wait, they want me on their podcast." And she'll be like, "Okay, are you ready to go?" Be like, "What?" The new crust dreams. <laughs> Sorry, hun. No guests tonight. So this is us. Is all the rage right now? Really, really. Amazing stuff, according to everyone. It's one of those uh, network ads. The show everyone is talking about. Hmm. Don't you ever wonder, like, who's yeah. everyone? Who, yeah, who is everyone? To? I wasn't asked. Are there? I wasn't asked. Are there Nielsen ratings that high? Who is Nielsen? <laughs> I thought Leslie Nielsen died. But he was great in those movies. He you was great movies? in those movies. Yeah. Airplane. Police Squad. Nice beaver. Yes, thank you, Scott. I've been doing kegels, and uh, oh, that's a quote. All right. <clears throat> Scott does not even want to look at me. I don't blame him. My hair's, I'm having a bad hair day. It is all over the place. But this is us. So Lisa and I checked it out, and I got to say, mixed bag. So it has the feel, we're only a couple episodes in, the first episode I couldn't shake the feeling that the show itself was aware how important it was trying to be. Interesting. It's, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a lot of moving parts. There's some shocking sequences the first couple episodes, like shocking in a, oh, I didn't see that coming way. But the show is felt very self-important. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know the show, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, like when Jack Bauer killed his boss in the like the first few episodes of 24. That was awesome. We are doing something groundbreaking. Who do you work for? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, extreme self it's as if every actor you? was acting in a way that they knew that their show was going to be important and they are so it felt a little preachy. Kind of like the West Wing. 
I wouldn't know about that, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like I the disagree. Me neither. I didn't watch it, but I could just see. However, what's his name Sheen just just smelling his own piss. Interesting. I'm going to take your word for it. But what I will say is that uh, it is an important show in that, spoiler-free, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of first impressions where you would think, what are these people doing? What the hell's the matter with them? But it breaks down that people are flesh and blood and there's a reason they got to where they're at. And so there's flashbacks and all that, which is really cool. And I like that. And I just wanted to say that because it's it's a hot show. Everybody's talking about it. Apparently, it's Everybody. the most important thing on TV. So, hey, Zach, where can we find This Is Us? You know what? If they pay me, I'll tell you. But Actually, I'd like to. I'll I'd leave like it alone. It's NBC, and we... Oh, gosh. I don't have cable. You can stream <laughs> now it. I'm going to have to subscribe on through Apple. Yeah, I don't have... Yeah. I, you know what? I've I been watching a great show. What's it called, Jeff? I don't know if I should share it. Does it rhyme with Ram in the Fly Harassle? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I knew what it was, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait is <laughs> what did you talk about? <laughs> the man in the high castle. R- Ram? There, I did not see that coming, and I am on episode nine, season two. And wow, it's eye-opening. So you enjoy it? Yes. That one does a pretty good job, too. There's this pattern of good storytelling on TV. When it's done right, it gets into characters' backstories and why they are the way they are. Even the Obergruben dude is somebody that has a backstory, and there's a reason he's the colossal douchebag that he is. The same thing with... um, Meth guy, doctor, meth teacher, school teacher, Breaking Bad. Thank you. Thank you, Mind. Breaking Bad, it, there's a there's backstory and reason, and people are complex. And all this to say that it just means that nobody's held accountable because there's always reasons. So it doesn't really matter what people do. They can right, do whatever Scott? they want. No, That's or, right. or when building relationships builds a bridge to who somebody actually is and why they do what they do. And, you know, we can go back to a lot of conversations and say we generalize a lot as a society. And it's not good. Oh, Scott, go ahead. I was just breathing really hard. Okay. Exercises. I do have uh, some feedback. You guys want to hear feedback? Absolutely. I guess the last few have been lame, but go ahead. I'm sure that's all of our I listeners. I appreciate yeah. you listening. I finally you, gave you we feedback. We appreciate your feedback. Okay, I, all right. I gotta. I I do want to add that I never thought. I mean, I know it's just a TV show, but I never thought I would feel sorry for a Nazi character. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I I could see that in you. Wait, personally, <laughs> to the core inside of him, I could see. Nazis. Come here, Scott. Stop oh laughing! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's weird. It's weird how you know it's it's fiction, but you have a tie, or you get some anxiety, or you get a little nervous because you're not sure what's going to happen, and somehow you're emotionally involved, like like on a level where you're, 
if you step back and like, why in the heck do I feel like this? I shouldn't. I know it's fake. They suck you in. Yeah, and it's because they are. Yeah, I mean, at some level, you you are still seeing them as human, and you turns out you trying. actually have a heart, Scott. <laughs> A transplant. No, I was talking about other people oh, from okay. what I've read. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, no that heart. Sense. No heart? Cor- yeah, correct. No. Okay, excellent. So we're clear. So we got a uh, direct message from our friends at Drinking at Bible Study. It's a podcast. At Dab's Pod. I'm going to say that again because of the buzz. At Dab's Pod. They at- said they've been listening, or I've been listening, and really enjoy it. Keep it up. Joe... From drinking at Bible study. Thank you mm. at Dan's at Pop. I need to go to that Bible study. We're going to have to connect. Are they, uh, lo- do you know where they, they're they located? No. Well, I don't actually physically need to go there. I just need to be a part of that you Bible need to be study. Go- you need to go there mentally. Just need to connect. Hmm. Okay. Um, Jeff, so uh, you're one of the characters, what's, what's your favorite character on that show? Man of the High Castle? Yeah. Hmm. Five words. What's the show about? <laughs> it's f- it's a comedy. Okay. <laughs> five words. I don't okay, have six words. words. Okay, you got three left. <laughs> boo boo boo. Thank there we you. Go. So drinking at Bible study. Also, this is in regards to Godspeed episode with the guys from Godspeed, Ryan and Jameson. They said great show today. It was super funny. Good job, guys. Thank oh, you. Thanks, drinking guys. at Bible study, Mister and Miss. Bible study? Is it's a man and a woman. Interesting. They are not together, to my knowledge. Interesting. And I think the lady is single. Interesting. It, it's just interesting. Is it bad if she's progressive, Scott? Depends on her definition of progressive. So, Jeff. Yes. High Castle, man in High Castle. What's it about? Ten words. I'll uh, give you ten words. I'm not. I'm taking more than ten words. Uh, Twenty words. Gotta, Just I, say what it's I about. I gotta fall. Okay. It's it's about if the war had gone. World War Two. World oh, War Two had yeah. gone to the the Japs and the Germans. Excuse me. The Japs <laughs> and the Germans. You know, if you said Japanese, it's still um, one word. Bruce Bowser Beer does not endorse anything <laughs> Jeff Pearson says. Oh, this goes. You don't al- save words by chopping off syllables. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts as one word. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm just quoting the show where they say the Japs. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I would have guessed you would have quoted the Nazis. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Anyway, actually, probably a lot of them, and it's probably a lot of Americans would have said Japs back then. So it's very interesting. It's militaristic on both sides. So America loses, Germany and Japan split the country. Split the interesting. Germany gets more than who gets California? The Japanese, of course, they occupy San Francisco. I mean, okay, I'm, I think I'd rather have that than the, than the Germans. There's a neutral zone in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's like the mountain because it's region. like it's like Texas and Oklahoma and no, yeah, nobody no. cares about yeah. that, right, Scott? <laughs> it's right, Tornado Alley. <laughs> I think it's the mountain range. All right, oh, the Rockies. Yes, and then more feedback. Huff the Magic Dragon. Oh, again, Jen underscore Huffman one seventy on Twits said episode one redeemed by doing housework simultaneously. I can't tell if we're redeeming her housework or the housework 
took her mind off of listening to episode one. That was the Mormons, yeah. wasn't it? It was Scott and the Mormons, I she, believe. She said, strangest one and three quarters hours <laughs> of my life ever. <laughs> Wait, we went one and three quarter hour? <laughs> hashtag all right. Hashtag great start. So that is, and I replied, that's generous. Yeah. Well, I'm, oh, I'm, I guess I'm glad I, we can help your husband out by you cleaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just—I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> That's Scott at Rose Bell's beer. I was gonna say Scott at Zach's house, <laughs> <laughs> which is usually the case. Okay, one iTunes review, of five Sorry, stars. Sorry, Huffmaster. Before we, once again, we only nope. read the five stars. <laughs> no, I appreciate. You. I appreciate you listening for reals. Yeah. So five star review. Chad in the cars. It's by at Chad in the Cars. May I? Worth the wait. Jeff, read it. Barrett Johnson was the best episode yet. It was worth the wait. 12 days, by the way. <laughs> LOL. Great job, guys. <laughs> Great job, guys. Keep them coming. I wish you would have dug in a little more with Barrett on his view of God. Okay. I do have regrets. Apologies. We should have dug. It sounded a little like his viewpoint resembled a prosperity gospel type of belief. There is no question mark on there. I would guess that's not the case, but I would have been interested to hear his words about it. I enjoy the dives into different people's beliefs and perspectives. Thank you, Chad in the cars. Was this review helpful, Jeff? Yes, it was. You know why? Scott, why? I think it was helpful, Jeff. And the reason is... Five words is up. Yeah. All right. Move on. Moving on. Well, we got a guest tonight. Jason Stellman. From Drunk Ex-Pastors. And he wrote... A book called... Misfit Faith. Dun, 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 dun. Confessions of a Drunk Ex-Pastor. So right now, before we call him up, we are going to do a shot. Because in their podcast, they do a shot at the top of the show to honor the people that shared their podcast. And even though no one has shared ours... We are going to do a shot for Jason. Mm. How do we know no one has shared ours? I'm just playing devil's There's advocate. Your jack. Well, There's your jack. Actually, Fake people do. Advocate people share ours, exist. but I know you guys don't. Is I don't. I don't do Perrier? anything. We're shooting Perrier. We're shooting gin. Oh. I put a little Perrier to take the edge off for Old Man River over here. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're talking about Scott, right? Yeah. Okay, are we going to clink? Grace, peace, cheers. Mm-hmm. Grace, peace, cheers. Hey, Mr. Selman, how you doing? Doing well. I'm just trying to figure out this Skype app on my phone here. Can you guys hear me okay? We yeah, can. we can hear you great. Okay, excellent. Perfect. This is going to be great. You went to Dana Hills High School. Yeah, I did for one year. For one year. I hey, went me to too. Da- <laughs> I went to Dana Hills as well. <laughs> Jeff went in the really? 60s. What year were you there? I was there. It was my sophomore year. Uh, it would have been 88, 89. Oh my goodness. You're kidding. No, no. Why? Were you there then? Yes. I was a freshman. No way. So you're class of 92 then? Wait a second. 91. Oh, I'm class of 91. Okay. Oh my gosh. Jeff's, this is really Jeff's weird. A pu- Jeff's any a public, your, any chance Jeff's you- a public school teacher, so he's not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. So we were at, so I only went there one year. I was at Nigel Hills at junior high, and then I was at Dana for one year, and then I moved. But this is really weird. 
So you, <laughs> did you yeah. any chance you played football? No, I didn't play football. Um, I surfed. Okay. Um, I had Mr. for English. Did you have Mr. Oh, my goodness. I know that name. This is crazy. This is crazy. Wait, that uh, guy was awesome. Who, um, who was the depressed English teacher? Um, Mr. He, he was the one who kind of looks like Albert Einstein with yeah. a beard. You know, like scraggly hair. He used to wear a T-shirt that said abolish the CIA. That is, that is amazing. <laughs> I wish I, I remembered that part. I'm not I, – I know my English teacher. I don't remember his name, but – I know he would complain about car crashes and said that if you haven't been in one, you will. Don't worry. <laughs> I think I had a science teacher. Like okay, that. wait a second, Jason. So that year, um, the surf coach, because I, I remember this clearly, the surf coach took everybody down to Mexico and didn't tell anybody. And they brought them back in like a, a paddy a paddy wagon. They had them. They, <laughs> no they, way. They, yeah, they had them in front of the school and they were dropping them all off. I don't think anything happened to the... The surf coach, but uh, it was hilarious. A Mexican paddy wagon? What? No, it was, it was more like it was more like the school had to go down. They got wind of it and had to go pick up all of the surfers and the coach. Well, I just remember the um, the horticulture teacher, Mister. D- oh my gosh! Oh, yeah, you used to teach everybody how to grow weed indoors. <laughs> this is so awesome. I coached his daughter in soccer, like, no way. Five, like five years ago. <laughs> Yeah, dude, he used to tell, he used to teach the kids in class how to grow like weed in their closet in their bedroom at home. <laughs> and you walk by the area, this and is occasionally too... you would get some whiffs of was a, a black light <laughs> of the good stuff. This is, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I was class of 94, so, or no, 97. Good grief. I'm behind you guys. But uh, I, when I started reading your book, Misfit Faith Confessions of a Drunk Ex Pastor, um, the Dana Hills connection just blew me away. Yeah, it's small world, totally small world. Well, you know what's even funny too is that um, the church that I planted in up in the Seattle area, Exile Presbyterian Church, um, the guy now who is sort of like the assistant pastor there, um, he also went to Dana Hills, and he's also class of ninety-one. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. We're all yeah, I don't place. know the guy. I don't know him. I just know that um, that he went to Dana Hills when I went there and when you, when, you, when you were there too. Small world. Dolphins have the power to unite humanity, I think, is the lesson. <laughs> Clearly. <we're> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So your podcast, right off the top, I just said nice. I'm supposed to stop saying You're, nice. My nice adjective, and love. Yes, and beautiful. My friends here are holding me accountable. You have the descriptive vocabulary of yeah. our president. I either it's say okay. beautiful or nice. So if you hear me say those two, um, slap figuratively em. slap me. <laughs> okay. Deal. But your podcast, um, Drunk Ex-Pastors, you guys have a great, you and Christian, right? Yeah, Christian. You guys have a great um, rhythm, and how you guys have been doing this for a while? How has that taken shape? I haven't gone, I haven't listened to the early stuff. Was there a process from the beginning, or or has your, I guess, rhythm developed over time? Well, we've been friends since um, we actually met because I left Dana Hills High School, went to Calvert Chapel High School in Costa Mesa. And that's where he and I met. So we've been friends um, since like 89, you know, 90, junior year of high school. And then um, we've been best friends for like 20 years, you know. Um, And so we 
have been hanging out and drinking and and just shooting the shit for years and so turning on a tape recorder and recording it 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 didn't really change anything it just the conversations we were having anyways are now just recorded so uh, i think the the reason that we have that dynamic is just because it's the genuine nature of our friendship that we've had for so long yeah and you can tell that's kind of what we're doing as well although (laughs) for us it takes a little bit more you know, early on, it was like no regard for there's actually going to be people listening. <laughs> we were farting and burping and eating. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I've ha- I haven't listened to our early episodes since, you know, we did them. Um, I know that, you know, I, I, we probably weren't firing on all cylinders either at the very beginning, but I don't think it took more than two or three to kind of find our rhythm and just kind of do our thing. I've been reading your book and enjoying it you mentioned a segment that i've yet to come across in your podcast a segment in your podcast called dick move god (laughs) (laughs) yeah which which is amazing in my book and can you unpack that a little bit yeah yeah we've actually talked about doing um like making a children's book uh, a dick move god like coffee table book (laughs) with like bible stories you know and like illustrations but um, illustrations would be great. Yeah. We were sitting at this pub. Um, I think we we're sitting at this Irish pub one night. Um, the two of us, and we're talking about the story of, um, Jesus cursing the fig tree. Yeah. And, you know, we're like, what, like, what about the guy who, whose fig tree that was, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he, he comes to hang out by his fig tree the next day. And he's like, what the hell happened here? Yeah. Um, or the guy who's flockish or heard of uh, swine Jesus sent off the side of the cliff, you know, the um, the demons that went into the herd right. of swine. Um, it's like those somebody owned those like that was like some guy's pigs like that was his livelihood. And to illustrate a point or whatever, the guy just lost everything. So we just kind of started laughing about like all these stories hey, bro, in the Bible. so we we decided hey dude we should totally do a segment on the show where we pick up a story um and so basically what i do in that segment is like i'll sort of um tell the story from the standpoint of one of the characters and christian doesn't know what the story's gonna be and i'll just kind of like tell him like you know i'll pick us some obscure old testament story like the, the kids that got mauled by the bear because they were making fun of Elisha the prophet, you know, yeah. like I'll tell the story from the standpoint of the mother. Like, oh, yeah, my son was 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 a brutally mauled by a bear because he called a prophet bald, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what we do. I, I haven't done one in a while. It's been three or four weeks because it's hard to I've done a lot of them. So it's hard to come up with new ones. But I. I I need to get back to doing it. The Bible from other people's perspectives. <laughs> yeah. We tried, that were exactly. really there. We tried to kill our brother, but uh, really we kind of went easy on him and sold him into slavery instead. Yeah. Yeah. It does, yeah. It does show, is that like a general, does that illuminate a little bit where you're at with the Bible and, and kind of what we're looking at with some of those stories coming from people's perspectives? Yeah, you know, um, I recently read. I'm actually reading. Do you guys know who Peter Enns is? Yes. 
A little bit. Scott just rolled his eyes because we talk about him a lot, and Scott. Zach, I heard a little bit of beautiful in that yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm reading his newest book now, but um, the book I read before this one was called The Bible Tells Me So. And he talks a bit about um, the fact that, um, and this is nothing new, but I I just happened to read it from him, just about how that um, it it was just common in antiquity for uh, ancient peoples to um, kind of explain their origins by different kinds of myths and stories. Um, And the point is not that these are necessarily historical facts, like there may not have been a Canaanite genocide, you know, there may not have been, um, you know, walls of Jericho that were that wide that fell down. But that's not the point. The point, at least as far as ends is concerned, is that God lets his children tell their own story. And that is the way all ancient peoples sort of um, contextualize themselves in the context of the other nations around them by creation myths and that kind of thing. And I think the closer we get to not being threatened by that fact, um, the better. And, and so that's kind of kind of theologically what's lurking behind that Dick Move God segment. This is rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been doing it for a while. <laughs> and apparently God has too. Doing, been doing Wait, what? It. You might not be familiar, but Scott, Scott and I are really good friends, and we're very different when it comes to the Bible right now. We both kind of come out of the same camp. Actually, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, is another linking point or anchor between you, myself, and Scott in that we all kind of came out of that way of reading the Bible and, and theology and stuff. So the whole left behind stuff, and those are my people. Well, yeah, and I would I would have departed really early on the. Where were my people? I should say. Yeah, I was never on the left behind wagon, but uh, but yeah, probably more more uh, Calvary Chapel in in most other things. But yeah, so partially. Yeah, well, that exactly stuff is that stuff is awesome. Like I remember, I was a Christian. Like I, I, I when I started going to the high school at Costa Mesa Calvary Chapel my junior year. Um, it took about two months or so before I started getting really serious about Christianity because I was it was just kind of a joke to me at first. Um, but then when I started getting serious about it, it was rad because like three weeks into my Christian faith, I knew that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Arabs and Jews, mm-hmm. allowing them to build their temple. And the whole 173,880 days after uh, Artaxerxes gave the command to Nehemiah to build the wall, uh, Jesus rode in on the donkey. All that stuff, like, it took, like, three weeks to, like, get all that sort of dispensational eschatology uh, kind of infused into me by osmosis. I had no idea what, like, the atonement was, though. That's that's (laughs) very interesting. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Justification, never heard of it. But let me talk to you about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Hmm. Yeah. So you're—I think we'll get into a little bit of your story and transformation, but in in general— I, I know you're not in that spot anymore, but do you ever think about the rapture and like a little part of you is like, well, what if, what if, and you get a little chill? No, not anymore. No. Um, it's funny though. Cause we've talked on the podcast about, um, you know, that whole thing in revelation, how it says there'll be like death will be no more. Right. And, um, Chuck Smith used to teach that like man will be incapable of dying 
for a period of time during the Great Tribulation, you know, and it was always just like it was. It, it's fascinating to me that I never, oh, yeah. during that time of my life, I never critically engaged with that idea that you could like feed a guy through a wood chipper and he won't die. <laughs> you can run like you can get run over by a steamroller, but you won't die. Um, it's just it, it's it's crazy to think that like I was that committed to a sort of literal hermeneutic that um, I was I was just okay with those with those ideas rather than thinking maybe that's not the way we're supposed to be reading this text. Yeah, that might be a little too literal, but yeah, when it says that they will they will call for the rocks to fall on them so that yeah. they, so that they would escape the wrath of God, I think that is more of the uh uh what's going on there. I don't know about <laughs> like being having your two legs and two to uh, arms chopped off, like in uh, Monty Python. No, it's no fun. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, flesh yeah. wound. You can, yeah. you can keep fighting though. Bless me. <laughs> yeah. Block that bridge. Uh, yep. But I, I, yeah, I think I think it's it's more of trying to escape the wrath of God. So God's gonna God's not gonna kill them, but He's gonna keep punishing them. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, but to answer your question, no, I don't really think about the rapture anymore. Are there any other vestiges of your faith that were burned into you that, like, you're haunted by, still? I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. I think I've, I think I've come to terms with because I left. I left evangelicalism for, a kind of old school Presbyterianism, um, quite a long time ago, and so there's not a whole lot of that evangelicalism still left in me, if any, uh, and so I think I've made peace with my with my um, evangelical past yeah. right now. Do you mind talking a little bit about that coming out of sure. or doing? I guess just do a brief background. I know this is all in the book, but uh, a little teaser for kind of where you, how you move from evangelicalism to Presbyterianism to Catholicism. Yeah. Um, well, I like evangelicalism, Calvary Chapel, megachurch, you know, style Christianity was what I was first introduced to when I started taking the faith seriously. So that was my middle, midway through my high school uh, years. And, you know, Calvary was very um, sort of insulated and not you, you weren't really encouraged to expose yourself to uh, anything really broader than itself, you know. And so um, I, I never really thought to read outside of my tradition or didn't really have an understanding of that, that church history went back farther than like 1965, you know, like. It was like the Apostle John died in the year 100, and then just everything sucked for like 1,900 years. And then um, Calvary Chapel came in 1965 and picked, Jesus. Up, picked up where the Apostles left off. Um, you know, and so I didn't, um, I didn't really think much outside of my own sort of uh, little small world. Um, but then I... Um, sometime when, while I was a missionary over in Europe with Calvary is when I started kind of thinking about, um, the doctrines of grace and Calvinism and all of that. I was reading Romans three and, you know, it, it kind of hit me in a new way. And I started to, you know, read R.C. Sproul and, um, other, other kind of Calvinists, contemporary Calvinist writers, Mike Horton. And I became convinced of that, which is what led to my and Christian, by the way, this he was with me this whole time. Awesome. Uh, we both got um, we both got 
booted out of Calvary for the Calvinism. And interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know what? I don't. I mean, every church has their rules. You know, I don't begrudge them their. You know, if if Calvinism is a theological expletive, then you know it's like that's your prerogative to make those rules and those distinctives. So just just real quick, my my church, um, we were not allowed to be a Calvary Chapel because of eschatology. Uh, what church was this? Uh, it's a it's a small church called just, Living Water. Okay. Zach, I know it's a small church. Don't have to. You don't no, have to do that, gonna, right? I was gonna say actually say the name. You don't have to bury them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called Living Water. We, we were part of. Uh, we were a part of Calvary Rancho Santa Margarita, and oh. then uh, and then uh, yeah, they wouldn't let us be a part of uh, Calvary because of of eschatology. Yeah. What was your eschatology? Um, so the, well, you know, obviously it's the, the pastor's eschatology, which I pretty much am in line with, but it's pre-wrath. Ah, uh, okay. For the okay. listener, can you really so, quick yeah, unpack so, that? So Calvary is, Calvary Chapel is a, uh, pre-trib. So they define the tribulation as the, the entire seven year period, which is the 70th week of Daniel. So the Antichrist will reign for seven years. I know it goes. It How goes, you doing, Jeff? Are you right right now? <laughs> no, this is this is this is a major focus with with um, yeah, Calvary sure. Chapel and Left Behind series. In general, though, the, the Book of Revelation, all that stuff has that not too. happened, right? Oh, oh yeah, it's total. It's total futurist. Um, okay. Total futurist interpretation. Um, so that's that's the Calvary, That's the uh, pre-trib view, um, where the the there's a seven year period which is the 70th week of Daniel, which is called the seven-year tribulation period. The Antichrist will rule over that period. Um, but then the uh, uh, in the middle of the tribulation or something, uh, geez, the rapture will happen, which can happen at any time. The and what are you? What are you so pre, pre-wrath is, well, everyone that's not a pre-tribber <laughs> <laughs> define, um, does not define the 70th week of Daniel as the tribulation. Um, but it would be that the Antichrist takes power, rules, makes a covenant with... Uh, I feel like I gotta get it jumped in by the Crips of the Bloods to, like, join this. Yeah, there's this an initiation. Is, oh, yeah, yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally. So, so, so pre-Wrath still has a... Uh, still thinks that there's... The Antichrist will come, but... Um, that the Antichrist will make a covenant with with Israel for seven years, um, but in the middle of that seven year covenant, he will the Antichrist will put an end to sacrifice and will then set himself up at uh, and commit the abomination of desolation. That will cut co- that, and then that there's will. More. Yeah, yeah, there is more. I know it gets complicated. And wait, there's and more. There's, <laughs> for nine ninety five, folks, you can send in for the rest of the explanation. <laughs> and then, and wait then, a second. No, and there's don't more. give it away. It's nine ninety five. You're gonna yeah. make some yeah. profit yeah. off. Real quick, this. real quick. Yeah, and then there's so then there and then there's the that's battle. right, folks. Misfit faith. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what? I'm completely lost. Completely lost. I love my misfit faith. I'm right. with Jason. I'm with so, Jason. <laughs> so then in a nutshell, uh, maybe slightly more of a nutshell than Scott. Sorry, Scott. Where, where are you at with that now? Because obviously you came out of that Calvary Chapel version. Yeah, I mean, I when I became Calvinist back in 
probably like 96, 97. Um, that's when I became a millennial. And um, if we're, you know, from a biblical perspective, I suppose, um, all millennial makes the most sense to me, which is way simpler than what you were just describing. <laughs> um, you don't need charts, graphs, or an easel. Um, it, it just basically says that, it, it, you know, Christ could return at any moment, and when he does, he will judge all men and usher them into one of two um, eternal places. You know, that's the that's the all-mill view, and, um, you know, that's what makes the most sense to me, at least as far as the Bible is concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could have said uh, the pre-wrath view is uh, that God will rescue us from the earth before God's wrath is poured out. And there you have it. I so, forgive you, Scott. So, so, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess you could simplify it down to that to that level, sure. So do you think when you went Calvinist from from Calvary Chapel, did you do you think that was there anything in that where there were warning signs of unassurance where unassurance where you're looking for protection from any doubts that were underlying that? Um I'm not sure I know what you mean. So when I when <laughs> yeah, I either. When well, I went, when I, when so, I went Calvinist, what yeah, now? <laughs> I'm sorry. We're, um, yeah, that's not a problem. Um, were you, <laughs> were you looking for more security and ironclad stuff? Like when you shifted that way, I guess I'm speaking from experience. I had a Calvinist period where looking back at the time, I didn't know this, but looking back, I see warning signs of like, I'm not sure about all this stuff. Let me find some security in apologetics and Calvinism and, and ironclad kind of theology um, to put God into. And, and so I went from there, which I didn't realize at the time. So was that going on at all with you? Um, I don't think so. I think I was um, I, I, I don't think much changed in me other than my views at that time. I, I think I was the same. I was always very argumentative and very into debates. Um, and I talk in the book about how I'm not like that anymore. Um, but at the time, I was super into just having debates and like just proving people wrong or whatever. Was um, it just to be combative or did you want to literally did you just want to prove people Wrong. Well, I, I was really interested in it all. You know, like I, I it wasn't purely an intellectual exercise because I lost you know, I lost a lot going from Calvary, which is all I had ever known, and all my relationships I had known up to that point were connected with Calvary. To leave that for Calvinism, you know, showed that it wasn't just an intellectual exercise because I, I actually felt like, you know, this is true and this is a, a move I need to make regardless of the ramifications for me. But um, So you're searching for I, answers. Yeah, you know, and I wanted to be as biblical as I could. And I thought at the time that this is what it is. Like, this is what uh, makes the most sense out of the Bible. And that was, but I was, I, I was just a Calvinistic version of my Calvary Chapel self, really. I, uh, I don't think I really underwent any kind of spiritual change at that time. I think I have since then. But at the time, I think I was just um, searching for whatever was most biblical. Did you ever in this transition ever just feel completely lost uh yeah yeah um when i left you know because my my leaving the mission field i was living in hungary and the way i found out that i was booted out of calvary was um my brother 
who was back here in the U.S., he had sent to, to the church some money for me because if you send money, they'll, they'll tack it onto my support check every month. Right. And, they, and they, they sent the check back to him with a letter saying, we don't support Jason anymore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you're still in Hungary. <laughs> yeah, and I did not know this. I, I did not know this. So my brother called me, and he's like, dude, like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. Hey, and theology I, I, is important. Yeah, right. So I called the church and asked them, like, what, what is this true? And the missions pastor at the time was like, yeah, you know, um, this is classic. He goes, yeah, I, I, I wanted to call you and let you know, but I don't have outside um, area code phone dialing privileges. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, to, you're to, the, to missions the missionaries, pastor. to the missionaries, yeah, you're that the they were pastor, supporting. but you can only dial in the 714. And they didn't have Viber back then, so it's too bad. They had the no. Logos building. <laughs> that is horrible. Yeah, That's so a the, horrible I felt a way to handle people's you know, hearts. Kind of betrayed and didn't really. Yeah, you know, it was scary because it's like that's all I it's all I had known. I, I I didn't have a whole network of relationships outside of Calvary Chapel, and so it was very much kind of starting over, you know. And it was, um, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. So you're over in another country as a mission, you know, on a mission trying to bring people to Christ and just spread the word. And then you're cut off from America and those that support you. Yeah. And so we had to, um, you know, basically sell or give away all of our stuff and just fly home on our own dime. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, you know, there wasn't even like a debriefing meeting when I got home. It wasn't like I sat down with the leadership when I got home and not even an a, exit interview or anything. No, no, nothing, nothing. I, I just, I just came home and it was like, okay, so I'm back. Um, but there was no, I was just completely cut off. So it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> You're a Calvinist. So that's God's will, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Sorry. God predestined you for this. <laughs> I'm so Jason, I'm complete. So uh, I'm uh, the Scott will make fun of me because I, I don't, I, will, I don't, definitely. I, he is, his pay grade for the Bible knowledge is much higher than mine. No. <laughs> and no, don't say no. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm a heart guy. I'm coming from the heart. Like Jesus just turned my life and it wasn't through the Bible um, when I listen to the story and I hear about people being, which really is wronged by the church, it hurts. I mean, it hurts me. I mean, you can feel the pain of just going back to a situation with people. And I'm, I mean, it's, it's disappointing when I think about it and how we as a people, as a society of believers, just what... I mean, it's not. It's you not seem right. To have, you seem to have processed it pretty well. That's for sure. It sounds like. I mean, you don't. You don't seem <laughs> maybe bitter. Now. Maybe it was the kick maybe in the now. pants. How, how long ago was this? <laughs> um, this was two thousand. So this was a while ago. So he's had time to decompress. Yeah. On Jeff's fortieth yeah, birthday. You we know, <laughs> in two thousand. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Jeff's yeah. old. Enough waters <laughs> flowed under the bridge. So I mean, Good. I'm not bitter. Good. I, I don't. I don't do. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm just getting older, but it's like I just don't do bitterness anymore. You know, it's like it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. No. Yeah. So then you float on the the rivers to uh, the rivers of Tiber, uh, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. So um, 
moved back to the U.S. in 2000, um, went to seminary at Westminster Seminary in uh, San Diego. Is that Horton's? Is that part of Horton's uh, thing? Michael Horton? Yeah, Mike, Mike Horton was one of my one of my favorite professors there. Okay. Is that when um, you invited John Calvin into your heart? <laughs> yeah, John Calvin had been in my heart for a few years. Okay. Sola, uh, Sola Institutes. So is that what they, is that a, is that a thing? Uh, it is now. Um, and I did my MDiv there, graduated in '04, and moved up to Seattle to plant a Presbyterian church. I was part of the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, now, did you have support in that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I um, well, that's good. raised a lot still, of support. <laughs> you still trusted the church after that? <laughs> yeah, Thankfully, good. the PCA was had their act together a little bit more than Calvary did, so I was very well taken care of and supported. Um, awesome. And I pastored um, that church from – I moved up in end of 04, and then – I pastored it until 2012. What was your, I mean, what was your, what was your ride like there? What was your experience? Uh, honestly, it was, um, it was great. I mean, I, I had no plans to ever stop. Mm. Um, it, the church, you know, grew and was financially self-sustaining almost immediately. I had an assistant pastor after a, a few years uh, who was full time. Um, never really had any controversy or scandal or, um, I mean, it was, it was a very, very smooth ride. Um, and you know, again, if I hadn't started fricking studying Catholicism, yeah. I'd, still, I'd still be doing it. Um, cause I was making good money and, and really loving what I was doing. And the, the I had a great church with great leadership. It was a, I mean, a totally positive experience. It's just that I'm, you know, I'm just intellectually curious, you know, and um, I started in 2008 looking into the Catholic uh, issue. And for four years, like four, like straight up four years of like unceasing wrestling with the issues of church authority and the Bible and justification and works and all that stuff. Um, and after four years, it was just like I, I just felt like I need to step down from this uh, and and um, basically be received into the Catholic Church, which is what I did in 2012. Wow. Was there a, a touchstone that caused you to start looking into the Catholic faith? Peter. Comfort. For those four it's, years? It was comfort, Peter, right? Peter on this on this <laughs> rock, I'll be in my church. So that's kind of the stone. <laughs> Things are way too good, way too comfortable. I need to right? go start working for the Catholic Church. I mean, working as a Catholic. Yeah, yeah. What I mean, started was, that four-year process? It was a um, a friend of mine that I graduated Westminster with sent me a link to an article written by a guy um, who used to also be a um, Calvinist and who graduated from Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Um, brilliant guy, really smart, and he wrote this article, sort of questioning. Um, sola scriptura, the idea that scripture alone is our um, sole infallible source of revelation, you know? Right. What are you looking and at, I read the article and it kind of like really didn't sit well with me because I thought the guy made a lot of good points. And from then I just started buying books and, and listening to lectures and reading online more stuff. And um, that was really the first thing because 
once once I sort of looked into the issue of scripture and the church and authority and all that, um, it kind of softened me up a bit to look into their view, Rome's view of what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And that that you know once once I was convinced on that as well, it was like okay, well, you know, I I pretty much have to pull the trigger on this. So that's what I did. So is this more out of you seem like you're just migrating from camp to camp? Um, but is it more out of just curiosity? Like some people, they'll read a book. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going here, and then I'm going to go there, and I'm just going to keep moving and learning as opposed to, you know, picking up a, a book. It's almost like experiencing it over just reading it. Yeah. I mean, it's different when you're a pastor because you don't get to just be a Catholic while being a Presbyterian minister. You know, <laughs> uh, you kind of, you kind of have to be all, all in with the, the stuff that you're talking about from the pulpit. Um, I did get accused a lot by people of sort of jumping all over the map, you know, and and when you're tell when I'm telling the story this quick, it kind of sounds that way. But it's like, yeah, I became a Christian in 89. I became a Calvinist in 97 and I became a Catholic in 2012. So it's not that I'm not that fickle. You you're know? almost <laughs> I, there. You're almost there, Jason. You're almost. Yeah, there. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it was just it's one of those things where I, I can't respect myself in the morning. Uh, if I am doing, if I'm doing something just for the money, but don't really believe it, then I, I don't know. I don't feel good about myself. So, oh, totally. um, yeah. that's, that's, that's why I, job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that killed the party. Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. No, but it's at a, it's at a principle. Like, you know, there's some, there's some, you know, honor in waking up and going to work. And knowing that I've been led here, I believe it, and I'm going, and not believing it just because of the paycheck, right? Or protecting your resources for it's, your family. Yeah, yeah st- staying yeah. in staying in something that you're not fully on board with because of your family, yeah, because or, of the paycheck. Money yeah. is, yeah, yeah. Well, that that is, you know, because I I thought when I. When I, when I became Catholic, I just sort of expected to kind of be a Catholic version of my old Protestant self, you know, like I'm going to do the, the conference circuit. I'm going to write these books that, you know, argue for Catholicism and misfit faith actually, you know, it, it's, it's first sort of, um, you know, version of it was, was completely different. I, I wrote a whole nother book, um, that was very polemical and very apologetical and, you know, argumentative and all that. And uh, when I finished writing it, I just hated it, you know, because I thought that I'm just, I don't feel like this captures the kind of Catholic that I am, you know, because I, for, for whatever reason, I got to a point where I just don't care if people agree with me and I have zero problems with differing points of view. And yet I had just written this book that was very, very kind of, um, debate filled and it was case making and polemical and all that. And I asked my editor, like, I, I said, I don't like this. Can I just write it again? Can I just start over? And amazingly they said yes. And misfit faith was the result, which I think captures way better the kind of person I actually am now, because I, I, I guess if you're, 
if you think you're so right about something and then you um, realize that you were wrong or at least you didn't have the whole picture, it kind of humbles you for the for next time. Um, I, there's a line in there somewhere where I say that the, the beautiful thing about being wrong is it liberates you to do it again. And um, there's something freeing about that first time that you you realize, gosh, I, I, I just don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing because – You're not allowed it, to it, say you that. Just, You're not allowed to say that. That's Zach's line. Hey, I said it. Oh, the beautiful. I'm not allowed to say beautiful. Is that what I'm not allowed correct, to say? Correct. Correct. Oh, okay. Nice. You know, he's allowed to. All right. <laughs> you got it. Jason, nice. I – so I – uh, the word polemical. Uh, I'm sorry. I I don't. I told myself many years ago when I put my my ego down that if I was ever in a conversation with someone who was talking it way over my pay grade, that I would say I, I'm. You know what? I'm not going to act like I'm not going to be a poser and act like I know what they're talking about. Would you define polemical, please? <laughs> yeah, it just me. It just means arguing. Like it so, just means. Like presenting when you're, a positive when you're, case for what you believe. Yeah, it's like it's like doing apologetics. You know, if somebody's polemical, it means they're arguing a case. Is and it a theological the, word? Or no, no, okay. no it's not. Um, no, it's but just, the first the first version of the book, that's how it was. You know, okay. it was like me saying, "This is why I believe this, and this is why this old belief of mine is wrong." Right. And over the course of writing it, I just kind of stopped being that way. So. Um, you know, I, I just, I didn't want to put something out there that, you know, cause if I'd put that book out there, then I'd be invited to all these debates and all the stuff. And it's like, I so don't even care about debating anybody about anything. You weren't out there to and, prove you, you weren't out there to prove you were just out there to tell a story. Yeah. And also to say that it's okay. And this is part of the whole point of the misfit part of misfit faith is it's, it's okay to like, not know. Uh, unknowing yeah. is okay. Um, you know, it's okay to, for there to be ambiguity and doubt and questions and loose ends. Like, I mean, we're talking about God here, you know, like let's, let's have a sense of humor and not take ourselves so seriously as to think that we know anything really, um, at all. And, you know, that I think is a posture that is way more sustainable than, you know, going from one thing you're certain about to the next. Uh, you know, I, I did that for long enough, and I'm just kind of done with it. Yeah, so then how do you – but then how can you have a sense of humor when if you lie to God about the wrong thing, he might strike you down? Like in Ananias and Sapphira, they, they lied to the church, and then all of a sudden they're like – They lied, like, well, they they're lied to the down. Holy I mean, They lied to the Holy Spirit. How do we have a sense yeah. of humor about that? That's funny. They got caught. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Busted. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that um, – and if you've read the, the bit in the book about God as Father. Um, that was I, another one of my notes I was going to bring up. You mentioned that a yeah, lot. I just don't think that God is in the business of just killing people, um, you know, for like not that good of a reason. Um, right. I mean, call, call, you know, it, it's like, there's a lot of other better reasons to just strike someone dead. Um, and even it, it almost seems like Sapphira was set up too, because she didn't know Ananias had died. Assuming, assuming the story happened exactly how Luke says it happened. 
she walks in a, a few hours later. She didn't know her husband was dead, and all the apostles are like, shh, don't tell her. Let's see if she walks into the trap, you know, and then she says, yeah, we sold the parcel of land for that much money, and then she dies. Um, I guess I don't – I guess I just don't really – fear God in the sense of fearing that he's just going to kill me. Yeah, you're allowing for the human aspect of what we see in the Bible. I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. That's where Scott and I honestly just wrestle a lot is to what degree is the Bible, you know, we all acknowledge it's written by humans, but to what degree is the human interpretation of God just flat out wrong in some spots? Well, again, go, going back to what we were talking about earlier, when I was talking about Peter Enns, um, you know, do I think that the Genesis account of our origins in the first few chapters of the Bible is scientifically and historically correct? Can I guess? Sure. I'm going to say no. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, no. Um, I, but then again, did, when Moses, let's even assume if we're going to let's be conservatives, all of us for a moment and assume that Moses wrote it on, right. alone. Was he even thinking like, did he think that what he was writing was actual literal history or was he doing something different? You know, because the way that all people in antiquity and the ancient Near East um, told their stories was through these exact kinds of myths. Like you read like. Anuma Elish or Gilgamesh epic or all these famous old um, Babylonian and, and um, Beowulf Meso- Mesopotamian <laughs> myths and all that stuff. Right. It's like that, this is the kind of stuff they wrote. They talked about, you know, that something vomited the earth out or the right. earth, you know, the semen there, there was the always there's or... always some mythological component to their stories. Right. That's and so I story. think when we expect scripture to play by the rules of like modern kind of um, historical grammatical exegesis. Right. It's almost like we're being anachronistic and we're forcing the Bible to behave in a way that it, it never intended itself to, to, to behave. And that's honestly somewhere where I'm, I'm at. I'm really, I can't shake this idea that in Hebrews and a couple of places where it talks about Jesus being the exact representation of the Father and God also not requiring sacrifice— I'm just thinking, okay, so something's got to give because we either have to neuter that concept, which is just exponentially extraordinary in the ramifications for all of the Bible, or we got to kind of neuter that concept and kind of force it back into all the narratives of the Old Testament or make it kind of fit together. And that's that's one of the areas that Scott and I have been wrestling over and you kind of go into towards the end of the book about Jesus being the representation of the Father. And by uh, wrestling, he means that we are arguing because we disagree with each other. Uh, not, not actually yeah, wrestling not, with not baby like, oil. I'm not wrestling the way that Zach is wrestling. We're, we're arguing against each other because I think it's, I think it's true what I, that, that, yeah, sacrifice is required, and Wait, Jesus is ultimately the sacrifice. The po- polemics. Polemic, there we go. So Zach was making a polemic, <laughs> and now I'm going to make a polemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so where, where, um, if if that's the standard we're going to use, why would we trust that Hebrews passage over over the um, the other passages? Because that's just how they interpreted it. That's just what they thought. That's just their hyperbole that God is that God doesn't require that. 
So why would we trust that? I mean, you know, using your standards, Zach, why would, why would we trust that over the other ones? What do you think about that, Jason? Um, now, are you talking about um, sacrifices in particular, or are you just talking about trusting Old Testament um, depictions of God in general? Well, for my part, I, I'm exploring the idea that what if God never, ever required sacrifice, like sacrificing God to God to please him or to assuage him seems kind of in line with what a lot of ancient cultures did. That's, that's how they appeased the gods. That's how it appears Israel did it and was commanded by God in the Old Testament. But if God never required sacrifice and that it was useless to control sin or to end sin, how would that change how we interpret everything? And Which seems to line up with my view of what Christ was doing. Fulfilling the Old Testament. Right. right? I, that's what he was yeah. doing, fulfilling the sacrifice. That, but that's where I'm system. coming from, and obviously we're in different spots, but... Where are you at? Well, yeah, there's a there's a part in the book, I think it's in the Shit Happens chapter about um, kind of like how to deal with, with suffering and all that, where I draw from a guy called Brad Jersak. Have you ever heard of that guy, Brad Jersak? Yeah. Um, J-E-R-S-A-K. He wrote a really great book called A More Christ-Like God. And um, he makes the point that, um, you know, if that passage in Hebrews 1.3 about Christ being the exact uh, representation of, of God's person, the Father's person, is true, that means that any account that you find in the Old Testament um, that you can't imagine Jesus having done, like the part where Samson— um, uh, remember, he's, he he has the riddle about the out of the eater came something to eat that whole thing, yes. and then um, yeah, yeah, and then the, he 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 bet those guys like 30, 30 changes of clothing that they can't get the guess the answer to the riddle, right? And then they 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 get in cahoots with his wife, and she gets the answer out of him and tells them, and so they basically win the bet. And so it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him, <laughs> and he killed, killed thirty other guys. <laughs> And took their clothes to settle his debt. That's a great story. Right? Okay. Yeah, that, that's one of my dick move gods right there. Yeah, but it's okay. like I don't think Jesus would have done that, and so therefore I don't think if that actually happened, I don't think God had anything to do with it. I don't think the Holy Spirit came on Samson to enable him to murder thirty innocent people to settle a stupid bet in the first place. Um, and I think that that like to, so to see that sort of um, Christ is the exact representation of the fathers, that passage is being kind of a filter through which you read everything else. Um, another thing to consider, though, too, is is everything you read in, in Deuteronomy, you know, the whole covenant that you read at the beginning of Deuteronomy um, is distinct from the covenant that God made with Moses uh, at Sinai and that all that stuff that that is in Deuteronomy is stuff Moses said to the people. It's not. It even reads that way. It's not. It's not what God said. It's what Moses said. A lot of times when people argue against um, Christianity, they argue against it from the standpoint of how could a God of love had have commanded all these horrible things that you read about in Deuteronomy? Stuff like, oh, if you see a woman you want, then just rape her, and then if you like her, then give her dad like six bucks or whatever. Like all these crazy laws. 
Um, but you actually read Deuteronomy, and it's like these are these are stipulations that Moses spoke to the people to govern them in the land, and you know I I, I can't imagine that God could have commanded the kinds of things that we often think he did in right. especially we, in the Old we Testament. See, we see Christ doing that too, and he says, "You you've heard Moses say to you, but I say." Yeah, there's, there's a few yeah. of those. Yeah, and I think that, um, interestingly, you know, whenever people criticize um, Islam and then um, someone will point out that, well, the Bible is just as bloody and just as murderous as anything in the Quran. Um, But the difference between the two is that Christianity has a Jesus. Christianity has a Christ and a new covenant where Jesus came along and said, no, don't do that. I'm telling you, love your enemy. Don't hate your enemy. And... um, I think, you know, any hermeneutic worth its salt is going to have Christ at the center of it. And everything has to be read through that lens, you know. And, um, I mean, this is straight up Martin Luther right here, right? I mean, everything, anything that preaches Christ is is um, something that we have to take seriously. But um, to read any texts, Old Testament or elsewhere, uh, outside of Christ as the filter or the lens is dangerous, I think. Yeah, First thing, I thought you were a former Presbyterian, not Lutheran. Second, no, I, I was. Secondly, <laughs> um, secondly uh, Zach, do you think that Jesus' sacrifice was necessary? I think, because I, I think that's kind of the ultimate. Does it matter what I think? You brought it up. According to God, I mean, according to, I, I don't think God Actu- required Actually, it. Yeah. actually, who cares what people say? Yeah, I know, you what say, people say What people say doesn't matter. What What is actually the case? I in lean towards a God that did not require, a God that wasn't so angry at us that he required to kill himself. So, so Jesus, so therefore, yeah. Jesus' sacrifice is necessary or not? Can you just say it not or not be condescending? Go ahead. Okay, <laughs> Zach. Zach, I'm going to talk to you like you're a, a three-year-old. Okay. <laughs> was Jesus' sacrifice necessary? According to God, no. All right, that's that's it's what my I was looking for. Ep- wow, loosely held and, opinion, and that is scary. I man, I, well, but think of it this way, you guys. Think of it this way: um, the idea that the Father was pouring out His wrath on His Son to to quench his wrath that he so that he can now not pour it out on us that is a pretty novel idea i mean this is not what eastern orthodoxy or catholicism teaches right um they don't teach this idea of like penal substitutionary atonement you know that the father was venting his wrath on the son um so you can you can be an orthodox christian and, and, and completely repudiate this idea of the father venting his anger and fury upon his son so that he wouldn't have to vent it on us. Um, that is not something you have to believe at all in order to be an orthodox believer. Well, but yeah, but, but, but if, you, if, if you're going to put it in the, the cat, some category of, uh, you know, uh, atonement versus uh, substitution versus ransom. Was Jesus' sacrifice necessary? I I, I think for us, for we, we required it more. No, than, well, no, more okay, than no God. but but what does that matter as far as actuality of, of what what is real? 
we we do we do all sorts of things that we think are right and they're not they're, they they don't matter because they're not actually real right or correct so was what in the heck are you talking do you about you have a question scott yeah was jesus so if jesus sacrifice was not necessary then we don't even need jesus is that, is that, well, think, is of it that this, think of it this way, though. Like every if you read the first, let's say, I don't know, um, 10 chapters of Acts, every single time they talk about the cross, it was always wicked men who took him and crucified him. And it was God who raised him up. It was never Peter. It's mostly Peter um, preaching in those first chapters of Acts. And it's never um, God sending his son to the cross. It was always he was taken by wicked hands and slain. You know, Jesus, whom you crucified, oh, yeah. the father yeah. raised up. So um, the the uh, action in in the crucifixion is always spoken of as men did it. Well, so but God so, yeah. raised him up. So that's my so. If so, if Jesus' sacrifice was not necessary, do we need Jesus? For the record, Scott, I don't understand how the atonement. I don't have a full grip on how the atonement. Me neither, and and I and I and I I would not expect you to 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 think that that I think that I have a full grip on it or anything any any other category that you want to put me in. I got you on that, but but what you're saying, what you well, what you just said. Is that Jesus' sacrifice was not necessary? Can that be my opinion? No, I, 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 let's. I'm saying let's go with that. If Jesus' sacrifice was not necessary, then do we need Jesus? Why, I, why, why do we need Jesus if, in actuality, despite what humans think, that we we don't need the Jesus? Why do we, we don't need, need Jesus, Jesus, Jason? Well, um, first of all, you're. I mean, I, you are making a leap from. Um, what I said to Christ's sacrifice not being necessary. Um, you know, I, I happen to think that if somebody, if, I mean, if I had been born in Yemen, I would be a Muslim. I wouldn't be a Christian, right? Um, we're all products of where we come from, you know, and our cultural upbringing and all that, good or bad. Um, and I don't think that God, insofar as, you know, the biblical story is true and that there's a God in heaven who saves us. Um, I don't think that God is bound by my having been born here as opposed to there. Um, I always like to draw from, and I do it in the book too, from C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, the final, I think it's the final, um, or second to last maybe, Mm-hmm. Um, Narnia book, right? right? Where the guy in the book who is kind of like, presumably kind of like a Muslim, you know, he worships this false god Tosh, and his name is Emmet, and you know, when the eternity comes and he finds himself in the, the age to come, right, in the true Narnia, he's he's surprised and, and doesn't understand how he could be there because he knows now that Aslan is the true god. Mm-hmm. Right, the lion who represents Christ, right. and he objects and says, "I shouldn't even be here." And Aslan says, um, "No, what the service that you rendered to the God that you worshipped was service that I count as having been rendered to me." Um, I think that God is bigger than than we tr- we treat Him often, and less way less threatened than we are. And sometimes I think we project our own insecurities upon God and treat Him as though He's going to fly off the handle. 
if our theology is wrong and punish us for all eternity, which I, I just find I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. So, yeah. so Jesus isn't necessary. Is that, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> no, ultimately, though, ultimately, Wait, it, it, ultimately, if that is the case, if that is what's actual, then Jesus isn't necessary. Um, I think it would probably take uh, more time than we have to for get sure. into that. And that we're, question. we're nearing the end, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Teaser for next time. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's good. It's, good. It's, it's a good conversation, and, and I, I'm just I'm just trying to. Scott and I have been wrestling with this a lot, and as you can tell, arguing recently. Arguing. We've been doing this a lot. Yeah, Scott would like to box everybody up and ship them in Amazon, just so he knows they're in a nice little yes. box, right? <laughs> ship, them, ship them in Amazon straight to hell. Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, I got it for free. Two days. Yes. No, I'm going to send you ground, no, ground I, U.S. mail. Jason, to ship it to the yeah, Valley. It takes <laughs> forever. Literally. Jason, I completely agree. I think we, we, we think, I think you a don't, lot of people- You don't even people, know what he just said. Scott, I'm going to take you behind the shed and beat the you-know-what out of you. No, we think we know um, God, and while we have this relationship with Christ and we walk down this path, to think that we know a whole lot about God, um, I think, is is dangerous. Um, because, as you said, depending on where we are born and you know we have... We have our perception and and what's been ingrained in us by our upbringing. I think to just step back a lot of times right. is is key and to healthy have, doses of humility. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's yeah. I'm actually working on a proposal for another book that I want to have submitted um, this week, hopefully. But it's I'm kind of that very idea that you just um, articulated is kind of what I'm working with where. You know, I'm toying with this this kind of thought experiment of like, you know, the way we the way we normally relate our beliefs to our practices is by saying by starting with our beliefs, right? We it's sort of like from the top down, from the sky down, dogma. We say God is X, Y, and Z, and that's true because either the Bible says so, or the church says so, or this charismatic leader that I like says so. And then we just kind of let the chips fall where they may practically, right? Um, I think I suffered from this as a Calvinist. I think when I was a Calvinist, I was very narrow and I was very threatened and I was very much kind of, um, in many ways, a killjoy. And it was the result of the beliefs I had. And as long as those beliefs are true, then I kind of feel like I have a get out of jail free card when it comes to how I behave. And so what I'm kind of toying with this idea is like, what if we did it the other way around um, and let the tail wag the dogma, if you will, and nice. say – I will say nice. That, right? That's great. Right? I, I like that little <laughs> turn of phrase. Um, and what if we said I want to be A, B, and C? That is what I want to be. And so I'm going to start with myself and I'm going to build a theology from the ground up and say, now what set of spiritual ideas – will most likely make me into the person I know I'm supposed to be. Someone who loves his neighbor, someone who loves the other, someone who has compassion and mercy. Why not start there and and then kind of reverse engineer a set of spiritual tenets that will get me there or that will make me that rather than starting up in the clouds with a bunch of lofty stuff that may or may not turn me into an asshole. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, 
it, it might be difficult as a Catholic because you'd have to you'd have to uh, weed through all the dogmas of of each pope first. But uh, but I I, I I mean I guess I would say theology first, and then your practic- practicality flows from theology as the way it should be, or else you're making it up from your own human brain. Um, but but on, but on some level, on some level, aren't we doing that no matter what? You no, know, well, I'm yeah. honest. Well, if well. Okay, so before so, any choice Scott makes, he references the Bible. I I try to. I hope that I hope that I have no ideas outside of that. Yes, except well, what about, theological what, ideas. What about the the heart that well, was given to you? Well, we'll anyway, we'll do go this ahead. Later. Yeah. Um, did, so I gotta <laughs> ask though. I know we're <laughs> we're coming up on time. I know, but um, as an even ex evangelical, I have friends that have some very defined views of what Catholics are. What are, what's something that you believed about Catholics that now that you're Catholic, you'd want to throw up in your mouth a little bit about? Well, ca- Catholics are kind of known, especially, especially, I mean, not as much now as, as 50 years ago, or even with Pope Francis, not as much now as even five years ago. But the idea that, you know, if you're not Catholic, you're, you're going to hell and, um, this sort of narrow, rigid kind of idea that and unless you're one of us, you're, um, you know, you're basically screwed eternity-wise. Um, and what I found is that the church is, is big enough and, and broad enough and, and Catholic enough, you know, universal enough right. for me, for someone like me to grow and to evolve and to go down this path and see where it goes. And if it's a dead end, go back. And um, it's just not so narrow as, as a lot of the sects of Protestantism are, at least the one I was in was, um, to where, if, you know, if you if you don't dot your I just right or cross your T just so, then you're, you're toying with, you know, your eternal destiny or whatever. Um, I've just found that it's, there's, you know, Chesterton said it best. He said the, um, the, rules or the rules of the creed, you know, are like the walls around the playgrounds. Um, and it's those walls that create the, the playgrounds. But when it's a playground, there's all kinds of freedom to explore. They're not like the chain link fence around some prison yard. And that's been what has been super um, encouraging for me, because like you guys, like I've said, I like to I like to think new thoughts and and try new things and i've found that it's been um very very freeing for that yeah at the very least you gain a little perspective of something that's outside of yourself and where you come from totally if, if yeah you travel read somebody said that i don't know who said that but it's a thing yeah yeah totally so misfit faith confessions of a drunk ex-pastor oh i i gotta say this i, w- I was in a facebook group and somebody was doing a silly thing and adding with a chainsaw to whatever book you read last. And I think I won because I just said confessions of a drunk ex pastor with a chainsaw. Dude. Which is pretty I should that's what I should have called it. That's way better. Well your next one. You got one you're working on. It'll happen. Yeah, there you go. And then the podcast Yeah, so you so you can you can buy the book. Comes out on March seventh. Um, I don't know what day this is going to publish this, this talk we're having now, but March 7th is when the book comes out. You can pre-order it on Amazon now or anywhere really. And then, um, you can find me if you want to book me to speak or, 
whatever I do mentoring as well. Um, JasonStelman.com. You can find me there or on Facebook. Um, and then the podcast I do is Drunk X Pastors, and you can find us on uh, iTunes, uh, on the web at DrunkXPastors.com. Um, so yeah, check us out. It's uh, good times. How you holding up with all the media? I'm, I'm assuming you're you're just getting going with this me- media blitz with the book and everything. Yeah, this is this is just the second one I've done, but I've got just a ton coming up in the next uh, month. Um, but I like it though. I mean, I I I love doing this kind of thing. Um, so I I get a kick out of just talking to people and talking about interesting ideas. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of what I do. I like it. I, I don't complain. Nice. That's cool. That's cool that you like it, though. I mean, that's obviously if you didn't like it, it'd be it'd suck. Well, some people do it and yeah, they don't like it. Yeah, you guys You guys clearly hate what you do. <laughs> oh, I mean, totally. I hate these guys. <laughs> uh, no, thanks a lot for coming on, man. And, I, you know, I, I, I like to challenge people. And, um, you know, I just. Do you like to be challenged? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Not right now. Later. Oh, okay. Sweet. Are you guys? Hey, are you guys down in Orange County? Because yeah, the yeah. call was nine four nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah Where are you? We're in Orange County, Mission Viejo. We're all in the same room together. Zach lives in the rich part of town. Well, I I'm from you know like my parents and brother and all them still live in San Clemente. Um, so next time I'm down, man, we should we should hang. Let's do this. Jeff's <laughs> Jeff's, in, Jeff's in, I'm in Kappa. We'll meet at Pizza Jeff's Port. Jeff's in Kappa Beach. <laughs> Oh, I love Pizza Port. Pizza Port's Ze- my favorite. Je- Jeff's on what? Avenido Pico? No, my f- uh, Estrella. Estrella. Yeah, just hit us up on oh, Twitter yeah. or something. We'll. I'll buy you the beer. I used to live right off Estrella. Nice. Nice. On the uh, ocean yeah. side. I lived. If you yeah, if you get off at Estrella, if you're going south, make a right. Yes. And then uh, dead ends at Camino Capistrano, and yes. make a left, and right above Pochi. You know Pochi. Yeah. Ooh, those are nice those houses. Those condos right above Pochi is where I used to live. Yeah. Nice. Good thing you didn't love, live on the non-ocean side because that's totally different. Wrong side of the track. <laughs> Dude, east of the five are just kooks. Oh, man. <laughs> There's a server term. <laughs> nice. Right, thanks, oh, down at Strands. Yeah. Get the kooks out of here. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> But please, yeah, really hit us up. I'll buy you the beer. Sounds good, man. Thanks, guys. Jason. All All the best. All right, right, talk to you later. God bless. Bye. We can talk. It's still recording. That was. I think that was good. I I think there's 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 stuff that (laughs) Scott got his fire lit a little bit. I'm making a motion with my finger. What does that mean? Fire lit. Described. You got your passion. Your passion bucket became full and started to spill over. And you were ready to get into a debate that would have gone on for five hours, which I love. That was great. Did my did my voice? I elevate? love that about. It doesn't matter about your voice. I love that about you, Scott. I'm affirming <laughs> you right <laughs> it's now. It's very psychological. I'm, I'm complimenting. Did my voice no, elevate? Because usually, like if, if it did not, if my voice elevates, then it's like, oh, why are you? You know, no, why, was are you, calm? why are you getting excited? It was a conversation, which. I am okay with. I like debate. I like I like, you're, you're, I like to argue. You've yeah. got you've got comp- compression on right now. Yeah, yeah, you know because because that way uh, you know your voice does you know? get a little odd at, at some no, points. No, so so not if you guys, if you guys have heightened. if you guys haven't noticed that normally I talk like this. <laughs> and no, and it is it especially is be- on the dude. softball field. It's because all right, it's, guys, there's two outs. It's because Let's I, get- I think I my voice naturally is loud, so I tend to uh, I, I tend to that's I, not true. 
I, well, that's because I tone it down. No. Yeah. That's not true. There's a mode. So, Scott. Okay. I'm listening. I think this is a hashtag real talk. <laughs> I, th- I think I just shat myself a little bit even saying that. Um, you say you, shat? You do. When you get excited about something and you are. Trying to control yourself. You're in the mode of being right. Oh, so, uh, yeah. See, see, okay, so oh, that's yeah. what I would just totally object. It's not the motive, uh, like, that whole idea of, of me trying to be right or something, I, I, you you, you got to give me a little bit more grace than that. Oh, I mean, come on. Grace to you. Yeah, but you're not... John yeah. McCarthy told me to tell you grace to you. <laughs> I love McCarthyism. McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Yes! I'm going to drink your beer. <laughs> yes! That was so good. I, yeah. For I, the record, they both have glasses of beer, but Scott decided to drink out of Jeff's right there for some reason. Uh, Camaraderie. Camaraderie. So good. <laughs> I, I, it's, it, no, I appreciate it. You want the truth. I think the thing to remember is a take-home is we all are after the truth and yes. we all care about the truth. That's why the thing of you, right, when you when you just said me being in my have to be right mode or whatever you just said. Well, because you get excited and then right. when I call you on it, you say, how about now? Am I calm now? Well, it's be- is my voice it's low now? <laughs> well, it's because you're, 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 you're reacting to the level of my voice or me being excited. So if I just lay, level it down. Then yeah, but that, that is weird, man. No, I know. That is so I know, but, weird. But then you, you, take, right, you take the level of my voice out of the equation. So now we you're can. You're doing it again. We can. We can Stop. We can. Scott, you forget about that and let's get back to the Scott, topic. Scott, what's at in hand. the box? Scott, you get you get to the topic at hand. God's in the box, Jeff. It's obvious. God's right. never in a box. Well, anyways, God, come no matter out what. Of the box. Obviously, God's we're at different places. I enjoy Jason. I appreciate what he's doing. Never I, in a box. I wanted to ask him actually that. Here, I'll play Jason. Go ahead. What do you think about podcasting? I I think it's a medium. I think it's a way to. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? I'm just being truthful. <laughs> no, we're I, all about truth. I think podcasting is going to save the world. Because, From Fox News. <laughs> because sharing of ideas. You, Jeff, you and Jeff and Scott and you, Jeff. Just and three Scott. Jeffs. Scott and Jeff. <laughs> three and Jeff. Scott and Jeff. You guys. Okay, we've this been enjoying much. Stone IPA. We've enjoyed Beef Eater Gin. Oh, yeah, five five we've words enjoyed, or less. No, do the five words or less with my homebrew that we mm. started with. Okay. Which is a double IPA with honey. Jumps on you with flavor. Wow, I nailed it. Five words. You know what? You know where you can find us? Brosbubblesbeer.com. And all of the socials. BBBpod.com. Nope. The BB- socials. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Bros Bibles Beer. No Boo- and. Boo, yeah. What's BBB? No ampersand. Ampersand. No ampersand. Beeper, BBB pod. We'll send you to Bros Bibles Beer. Actually, Jason and Drunk X Pastors, their podcast, they have a Bieber thing. They have a what? A Bieber. 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 Oh, I don't even know what that means. They're Bo- Biebers. Oh, you should start listening to their podcast. I, good. I Honestly, I haven't listened to their podcast. So do you know what Polemics means now? Bitch. It's great. Wait, what? I'm sorry, Scott. Would you repeat that? Do you know what, do you know what Polemics is now? To argue. 
But I would never use it. I well, will no, never well, it's, use it's it. It's a specific type of argumentation. Explain. It's you forwarding your position. Ma- mainly you, your you are pole, on the your pole position. You are polling. How do you how do you spell the word? Because I thought about the root of the word. I'm like, how is this about? I started thinking, well, like, what does your is wife this? not have a pole position? Do you guys have a pole in your room? No. From which you eliminate? No. No. It's a workout that is sweeping no, the land. No, stop. It's sweeping okay, the land. Zach, stop. Polemics. You haven't stop. done the Limics workout? Come on. Polemics. So Polemics. <laughs> There's been a breakout of enthusiasm <laughs> with Inbros, Bibles, and Beer. My name is Jeff Pearson. Oh, I am only a part of this. I'm not actually engaging. Hey, hey. Hey, you're in, but not of Bros, Bibles, and Beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one it's, of the three. You're, you're right been... now, I'm outnumbered. <laughs> mm. I feel like a misfit. I like the way your shorts fit. <laughs>